0: Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, church, for giving me an opportunity to come and invest in you and to kind of see the work that Josh has done here. You know, where I come from in First Baptist Church, they've given me a little bit of freedom to travel around and invest in other congregations like this. We've been literally all over the world speaking and investing and training and that sort of thing. And, you know, they do church a little bit different everywhere you go. You guys do it a little bit different here in Orlando than we do back. I mean, just... Three miles down, uh, three hours down the road, down in Fernandina. We do it differently there than you do it here. But probably one of the coolest things I've seen is the way they do it over in South Africa. In South Africa, when the pastor will stand up, he will open God's Word and he'll name his text. And then he'll say, Church, I come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody in the room, from the smallest child to the oldest senior adult, they all respond with just a hearty amen. Now, I don't mean like a Baptist head nod. You know, I'm talking about a Pentecostal. Sure enough, and we're going to have fun today. This is going to be good. I mean, a sure enough amen, okay? Can y'all do that with me? I thought maybe that kind of might break the ice for us a little bit, help us all to kind of get on the same page and just kind of start the, the whole thing off right. Would y'all do that with me? If I say that, and you're going to respond in turn, you with me? Okay. I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then they preach for three hours in South Africa. So, oh, me. Oh me somebody said, I hear you. I hear you. No, it's, got, it's actually uh, the plan is uh, the best stuff is going to be upstairs. Right after lunch, my best stuff's gonna be upstairs uh, that, that I think can make the biggest difference. My goal and my passion is to help him fund the dream to take the dream that's in his heart and everything that he's shared with me that this church's trajectory has been on to one day get you in that permanent auditorium and and to see that that faith become sight. That's my passion is to come alongside you guys and and make your job easier. I'm going to show you some of the ways to do that when we get upstairs. But today we're just going to talk about kind of how to uh, begin getting the heart ready for that. Before I go any further, uh, I do want to thank you for uh, having my, my friend Josh on stage. You know, a few years ago, after that episode of Cops aired, we didn't know, we thought his ministry was over. We really did. And, and it means a lot to me. It was at season three, episode four, season four. I never can remember which one it was, but he was like, I'm innocent, you know. But nevertheless, you gave him a shot, and we want to say thank you. For that okay uh, also my friend Mike Williams Mike would you just hold your hand up right back there Mike Williams is here he is a very gifted fundraiser he's a very gifted comedian and God's used him with focus on the family James Dobson he did some writing for carrot top you know that guy uh, some amazing amazing stuff so get to know him maybe have him back at your church at some point but in traveling around and getting to, to go to these different cities and different churches Um, You know, when you go to new places, the world you discover is a lot smaller than you thought it was. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you just see, man, with the advent of the internet and all these things, uh, the world is just not a big place. I had the opportunity uh, back a few months ago to go up to New York City. One of the ladies in my church approached me when she heard that that we were going to do some work in New York. And she said, Zach, she said, if you happen to run into my son when you're in New York... Would you tell him I miss him, tell him I love him, and I wish that he would just call me occasionally? And I thought to myself, you know, she, she doesn't understand, you know, she's not been outside of Nassau County, Florida, and, and she doesn't understand that New York, I mean, you're talking millions and billions of people uh, there out on the streets, what are the chances that I'm going to run into her boy, you know? But there I was, and I, and I was talking to her, and I didn't have the heart to explain all that to her. So I said, okay, ma'am. I said, you know, it's a long shot. It really is a long shot. But if I happened to run into your boy, uh, how would I know him? She kind of told me what he, what he looks like, and I said, well, what is his name? She said, his name is John Dunn, D-U-N-N. She said, if you just happen to run, I know it's a long shot, Pastor, but if by chance you see my boy, tell him I love him, I miss him, and I wish you would call me. I said, okay, I'll, I'll make a promise to you to do that. And just to show you how small the world is, I was up there, my wife Julie was there with me and we were walking down Times Square and, and, and kind of took a right and got off on the financial district and we're, we're walking down the street there and I saw in big bold letters on the side of one of those buildings, it said Berkshire and Dunn, D-U-N-N. And I said, you know, our God is a big God and you never know. You just never know who you could run into or what could happen. I thought, well, what are their chances, you know? But I've been around long enough to know God does work in mysterious ways, amen? I mean, he just does. He, he works, and so I'm there, and I, I go in the front door, and, and there's a lady there behind a, a, a desk, and I walk up to her, and I thought, you know, it's a long shot, but I'm just going to ask, you know? And so I walk up to the lady, and I said, ma'am, do you all by any chance have a John she said, Yes, we do. It's just down the hall on the right. And I, I, I thought, Man, the stars are aligning, you know. And, and I walked down the hall on the right, and, and just as I was about to go in the door that she told me to go into, a fellow opens the door. He walks out in the hall and he's looking at me. And I said, Are you done? He said, Yes, I am. I said, Well, call your mother. So, it's a small world. All right, let's get to the serious stuff. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. All right, so if you don't get anything out of this, you've got a couple of jokes. You can tell at work tomorrow. All right, so Acts 20, verse 35. Suppose I knew a secret that could guarantee to take the joy knob, the blessing knob in your life, and turn it up about 10 degrees. Is there anybody that would just say, no, nope, not into that? I don't want to be any more blessed. I don't want to have any more joy. I don't, want to, I don't want God to smile on me anymore. I'm perfectly content. I don't want to turn it up anymore. Suppose that I had a verse, I had a truth that could teach you that, could show you how to do that. I believe that, that most people, everybody is hardwired by God to desire a blessed life. And I'm going to show you today something that God showed me personally that would would bring you to a point of God's greatest blessings in your life. I was on a cruise coming back from the Bahamas back a few years ago. It's actually about a year ago. Julie and I and the kids, we were traveling back, and it was early one morning, and I I got up early that day, and they were still in bed, but I got up early, and I went out on the the side of the boat, and I was having my quiet time, and I had my Bible and a cup of coffee, and I'm just sitting there and looking out over the waves, and the boat, you know, if you've ever taken a cruise, you know how they kind of just gently kind of rock back and forth. So I had my glasses on, and as the boat was rocking, it would go a little bit forward, and I could see uh, blurry waves out over, the, uh, out over the ocean. And then as it would rock back, they would come into view. I could see them perfectly clear. And it was going back and forth, blurry, then clear, blurry, then clear. And, and there, unexpectedly, you know, God doesn't speak to us audibly the way that he did at times in the Bible, or he doesn't to me. Uh, he, he prompts me. He, it's like the whole thought will come at one time, and, and there, as, as I'm sitting out on the, the deck of that boat... I had the thought, suppose there was one verse that would bring everything in your life into clarity. Suppose there was one verse through which you could view the world and view your life, view parenting, view marriage, view church, and that could could sort of bring everything that you're involved in into a point of absolute clarity. And I thought that would be wonderful. I would love that verse and and God immediately drew my attention to Acts, the 20th chapter. In, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is giving his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And, and this is, in his mind, he thinks his death is imminent. He's going to die, but it's going to be several years later. He's going to go through several law cases and uh, be imprisoned in his home and, uh, in Rome. But in his mind, it's literally days, weeks, maybe months away. And God has already revealed this to him. He's meeting with the pastors of the Ephesian church, and and he's about to leave them. He's seeing them for the last time. Now, when when you talk to somebody for the last time, they're going to say to you what they wish they had said their whole life. They're going to tell you what is most beneficial to you and most important to them. And so Paul here, he says several things, but I just want to focus in on verse 35. He says, in all things, I have shown you by, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words, notice this, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So God, in this moment, I'm minding my own business. I'm having my quiet time. God says, you know, it impresses on my heart. I'm going to give you a life verse. I'm going to give you a verse through which you can view all of your existence. Cool. And then he gave me this verse. It is more blessed to give than receive. And I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. My first thought was, can I get another one? Like, can, I, can you trade live verses? Can I give you this one back? And can you give me like a better one? Because that's one of those kind of verses that for me, the way I'm a, I'm a red-blooded American, man, so for me... That was hard for me to just wrap my arms around. It's kind of like that verse where, where Christ said in Matthew 5, that you ought to love your enemies. You know that verse? <clears throat> now, I think that's great for you all. Like, y'all ought to love your enemies. But man, my enemies got on my enemy list by good reason. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, if God looked at my enemy list and if God knew what they did to me, God wouldn't tell me to, to love them. You know, that's, that's kind of a hard verse for me just to embrace fully. It's a difficult, difficult verse. It's like that when God says it's more blessed to, to give than get. In Matthew 5, 23, Jesus says another thing. He says, if you're, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and then you remember that someone has something against you. You are to leave your gift there, and you're to go make it right with that, that gal or that guy, then come back and offer your sacrifice. So the Jewish sacrificial system was it was tantamount. It was co-equal to everything we do in the Christian life. And here he says, before you sing a song, before you give an offering, before you preach a sermon, before you teach a class, if somebody has something against you... You ought to go settle that and make it right. And so I'll read that verse, and I'm like, God, are you sure? I mean, that's kind of their problem, don't you think? I mean, if they got something against me, I, you know, that ain't my, that ain't my problem. They, you should tell them to come make things right with me, or you should tell them to get their heart right. But why should I carry that burden? You know, so I kind of struggle with that verse. But but there's nothing more un-American than saying it's more blessed to give than to receive receiving makes me happy I love to get I love to receive and, and, and in our in our founding documents it's one of our inalienable rights the pursuit of what happiness you go and, and you make yourself happy and I'm happy to get and here he says it's better it's more blessed flip it around and be the giver. And I thought, you know, God gives you a life verse. You kind of got to take it. He wouldn't let me trade. So I'm thinking, all right, but I'm going to, see, I went to seminary. When you go to seminary, they give you all of these tools and, and abilities so that you can get in the text and you can, you can explain it away so it doesn't really mean what it looks like it means, you know. So I thought, I'm going to do that with my, my life verse here. So I start looking down at the, at, the, at the footnote portion. You know, the footnote will tell you, well, what was the context in which Jesus said this? Because if Jesus said it, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, maybe I can go back and I can look at the story where he actually said that, and I can figure out a way where that doesn't mean what it looks like it means. So I'm down and I'm looking at my footnotes, and there's no footnote. And I dig around I look in the commentaries I get all my cross-references and come to find out that particular verse was nowhere in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, it is the only saying of Jesus that we have record of that he ever said that was not recorded in the Gospels. Now you know in John, John said if we wrote down everything Jesus said the libraries of the world couldn't hold it all, right? But So there's a lot more that he said that was not recorded in Scripture, but this is one of those sayings where Paul said, we all know this, that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. So I began looking around at all the best commentators, and and I discovered that this particular verse, this quote from Christ, most scholars agree was so common that it was so readily accepted as being original to Jesus. That it was unnecessary for Paul or for Luke, as he wrote Acts, to attribute it back to Christ. It was kind of like one of those things your mama says. You know, mama always said this, and all the kids go, yeah, we remember. Mom, Our dad always said this, right? Well, that was this kind of saying for Jesus. It was so common that anybody who knew Jesus knew, oh, yep, yep, you hung around Jesus. He said that all the time. He just kind of worked it into the conversation. It's more blessed to give than to receive. MacArthur writes, It is of great consequence that this is the only quotation recorded outside the Gospels of a statement spoken by Jesus while he was on earth, and this gives significant weight to the truth that it reveals. So imagine uh, the day when, when Jesus turned water into wine, the wedding at Cana. Imagine that day, they brought six water pitchers, and and those water jars, they would hold like uh, 20 gallons of water. They were for ceremonial washing. And Jesus took those 20 gallons times six, and he turned the water into the finest of wines. And and, and that miracle that that was the the first miracle, the first sign that Jesus ever performed uh, was Basically, not only communicating a great truth, but it was relieving the embarrassment of the marriage party. And as Jesus was able to bless them with this gift, the the, the truth is, when he was leaving, it was probably one of those occasions where Jesus said, it's so much better to give than it is to receive. Or imagine that day when Jesus took a little boy's sack lunch and he blessed it. He broke it. He fed 5,000 men, the Bible says. Now, if it's 5,000 men, they only counted the men in those days. Um, and he said, there's 5,000 men. If there's 5,000 men, you can assume there's at least 5,000 women, right? And if you've got 5,000 men, you've got 5,000 women. There's at least 15,000 kids running around somewhere, right? So a lot of people that day, and Jesus had just uh, t- took a little boy's sack lunch and he blessed it and he fed all of that multitude. And the Bible says when it was all said and done that, that they picked up the leftovers and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. That's one for every disciple. Or maybe, maybe they gave them all to that little boy. I mean, can you imagine that little boy who went home that day? He, he came to church with a fish sandwich and he went home with like a, a new establishment of Captain D's. You know, I mean, he's, he's ready to go into business at that point. And as Jesus sees that little boy trying to get all of that stuff back home, maybe that's then that Jesus said, isn't it more blessed to give than it is to receive? It was just something he said all the time. Now, as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, you know, I haven't found anything here to make me think that doesn't mean what it looks like it means. But maybe if I dig into the original language. So i started to kind of flex my nerd muscles and 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 look at the actual greek here and the english word there more is the word melon in the greek m-a-l-l-o-n it means more greater to a higher degree it was the same word that that was used by blind bartimaeus or of blind bartimaeus in mark 10 As Jesus was coming through Jericho, and Bartimaeus began to cry out to Jesus. And they they told Bartimaeus to to be quiet. But it says in verse 48, but he cried out, Malon, all the more. So he was so loud before that they said this annoying. He needs to be quiet. But then he cried, Malon. (laughs) He cried more. He cried louder. He said, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's the same word. It, it, all the more, he cried out loudly. It's the same word that Paul used in Philippians 3, 4, where he was talking about his religious resume. And he said, if anybody else has uh, reason to boast in the flesh, I have melon. I have more. He described himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the highest order. His resume was impeccable when it came to his religious standing. He says, I had malon. I had so much more reason to boast of my good works. It's the same word here where Jesus says it's malon. It's so much more blessed to give than receive. And I didn't really get anywhere with malon. I didn't... More means more. It means a lot more. It means the pinnacle of more. It's, the, it's, like, it's like blessed on caffeine. It's blessed, hyped up, amplified. It's, it's blessed on steroids. I mean, you are blessed if you give rather than receive. Macapios is the word blessed. I thought, well, maybe, maybe it just blessed doesn't mean what we tend to think it means, which, by the way, most people don't know what it means. It's just something we kind of use in prayer just to kind of to, to kind of cover over everything. I, I taught on it one day and I, I said, listen, if you if you don't know what a word means, don't pray it. And, and we talked about what blessed means or blessed means, and most of our guys didn't didn't know what it means. I said, I want to challenge you just for one week, don't say the word blessed, but but say what you think blessed means and elaborate on it. Expand your vocabulary, right? And Right after that, we took the offering up. And whoever was praying over the offering that day, man, they were at a loss. It's like, dear Lord, he had just committed for a week. He's not going to use the word blessed. He said, dear Lord, uh, thank you for this offering. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. Because what, what he normally says is, Lord, bless this offering. Bless the missionary. Bless the preacher. Bless the church. Bless those who couldn't be here. It's you know? that, kind of a catch-all phrase, blessed. Well, the word blessed had, had a very specific meaning in the Greek. David Jeremiah teaches that in the Greek language, the word "blessed" is a word that goes along with being a god in Greek. And you know, in in the Greek uh, pantheon of gods, they were they were like Superman, they were like um, Wonder Woman. They were they were like no, they weren't mortal beings, but they weren't our view of Big G God. So. The word was never used outside of the Bible in reference to a regular person. It was the blessed gods, the blessed uh, Hermes, the blessed Zeus. It was always used in reference to these gods of the Greek religion. It was so unearthly that it was never used in reference to humans, outside of scripture but jesus the first sermon the first word of the first sermon he ever preached blessed he says if you took the sermon on the mount you could entitle the sermon on the mount how to be blessed according to jesus would be a perfect title for it he said i'm going to show you how to be blessed i came here to show you how to be blessed biblically it means to lift the curse So you know the story, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and God cursed uh, the planet, God cursed the people, and every problem you've got, every problem you've got this side of Eden is a result of the curse. If If you've been sick this year, that's evidence of the curse. If you've got, anybody here got arthritis, raise your hand if you've got arthritis, all right, that's evidence of the curse, you're proving God true right? Every sickness, if you've ever had marriage trouble, no, no, don't, don't raise your hand for that. Um, if you've ever had marriage trouble, um, don't, and don't point, don't point, it's not nice, okay? But um, that's a result of the curse. You're not supposed to have those issues. Being blessed is when God begins to lift the effect of the curse. It's, it's the state of being in paradise, The state of being in Eden, the opposite is true. To be cursed is when God amplifies the effect of the fall, the effect of sin. So in Malachi 2 verse 2, when the people were doing the opposite of giving uh, being blessed to give rather than receive. In Malachi 2.2, when they said, no, we're going to take rather than give, what does God say? He says, I'm going to send a curse, and I'm going to curse your blessing. So I'm going to take that, which was intended for good, and it's going to bring about evil. It's going to bring about pain. It's going to bring about hurt. Have you ever felt like marriage is just harder than it ought to be? Or raising kids have you ever thought man it just seems like back in the day it was so much easier to raise children but but today there's so much thrown at them have you ever felt like church sometimes is harder than it ought to be getting along with people is just harder than it ought to be and have you ever considered the fact that the answer to your problem may not be a seminar on communication but it might be generosity because here he says it's amped up, caffeinated with steroids, that the best blessing you're going to get to be on the most blessed ground is when you have the perspective, you're looking through the lens of generosity. That when you see the world as an opportunity to be a blessing, then you move on to blessing ground. The opposite is true. When you look through the world through the lens of stinginess, And you say, I'm I'm here to get all I can, count all I get, and sit on the lid and poison the rest, right? When you look at it that way, uh, you're bringing about an amplified effect of the curse on your life. Now, I want to show you in Scripture where Paul uses this, and then I'm going to close by showing you how you can find the power to trade lenses. How can I go out here today, and how can we go forward as a church with the attitude that we are here for this community to be givers. How can I do it? Okay, well, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, notice the words that I emphasize. And just notice what Paul is saying. He's describing the blessed life. He says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Is that, is that a good thing? If that's a good thing, say amen. All right. God's going to make all grace abound. I mean, how would you like to get up in the morning and, man, the grace of God just like waves billowing over you. You walk through your day and the grace of God, not just that it's, uh, it, it, God doesn't judge you for your sin. It's more than that. It's the empowering grace of God. And he can make it abound to your life so that you are having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Anybody cool with that? Amen. Would you like it to be said of you that, man, uh, you know, if you bank online, every time you log into your bank account to see how things are going, it's always plenty. You've always got plenty. My daddy said growing up, he was a baby of 12 kids, and he said growing up, we always had plenty. He said, I knew we had plenty because any time I went back for seconds, mama would say, you've had plenty. All right? So <laughs> that's not what I mean. I mean not you. You seriously, you've got plenty that, that anything God might might prompt you to do my wife came to me uh, this past week and she said we, we met some missionaries from Nepal and she said you know at some point I would really love to go and do mission work in Nepal you know how husband thinks we start looking do we have plenty to do that is God providing well here he's saying he can make gr- a grace abound he says you can have all sufficiency in all things At all times, you'll always have plenty that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. So God's perspective toward this church today, toward every family in this church today, is that God's got plenty, and he is more than willing to share it with you. Do you understand that? It's not like God is saying, well, there's only so much. And, and I, I got I to gotta make sure I give it to the right folks. Now, God's like, I got plenty. God God never didn't give you something because he was running short. If you prayed for something and God didn't give it to you, there was other reasons. It could have been your perspective. It could have been your heart. It could have been that it would hurt you more than help you. But it has never been, I'm out of those today, right? God's got plenty, and he says, uh, I distributed freely. It says he's given to the poor. You say, well, that's just for the, the the upper class, the middle class. No, no, no. He says here, this is even for poor folks. He says, I can bless you. I've got plenty to give. I will not hold back. You will have a, an abundance. He goes on. His righteousness endures forever. Uh, it says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. So he adds and he multiplies. He gives you stuff and then he causes it to multiply for sowing and increase your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. And in all of this, he's saying, you, you don't have to like, like cut around the edges or, or get shady or do things that aren't really kosher in order to get this kind of abundance. He's saying, um, no, no, no. Your righteousness, your soul expands, your heart grows, your mind is more filled with truth as God is giving you plenty to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, what's the key? How do we get to that? You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that God's like going to make you drive a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or anything like that, but I'm just saying you're going to have sufficiency. You're going to have plenty in every way, not just financially. You're going to have what you need to do, what God wants you to do. and You'll never have to worry about it. What's the key to it? Your heart's a heart of generosity. So pastor, if I came in here today And my basic perspective on life is that, hey, man, there's only so much. We're all practically on a fixed income. So so if I come in here with that perspective, and I want to change to the perspective of every day of my life, I'm looking for opportunities to show generosity, to bless people, and and that's going to be the heartbeat, the, the motivation of my life, how do I change from point A to point B? And the answer, he says in verse 15, Look at the giving of God. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In some way, when you look at the giving of God, what did he give? Church? Jesus. He gave his son. He gave his first. He gave his best. Jesus said, I'm going to lay aside everything so that I can know you. You ever thought about that? He said, you're, you're worth, and my Father's glory is worth me laying aside all of heaven, the throne room, the treasury of God. Get all aside, I'm going to walk the earth and I'm going to die. I'm going to give my very life. I'm going to give my blood. I'm going to give my, my lungs. I'm going to give everything so that I would know you. And I found that to be worth it. Jesus said, I'm willing to give it all for you. And somehow or another, as you focus on that, it melts a heart of greed. And it softens your heart so that you can, in turn, go and find it more blessed to give than receive. And as you do, the curse is lifted. The world has changed. How does it work? Last story and I'm done. There was a movie that came out in 1999. You've probably not seen it. There may be a couple of you who have. I I don't think it was even released uh, in English. The the version I saw had subtitles all through it. It was set in Vietnam. The movie was called Three Seasons. Has anybody seen the movie? I've never had anybody raise their hand that's seen the movie. But it's one of the best pictures of the gospel, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, and, and then we'll close. It was set in Vietnam, and it's about this... Young man, his name was Hai, H-A-I. And he was one of these rickshaw riders. You know what the rickshaws are in Vietnam? It's like a, like a taxi, but it's a bicycle, human-powered taxi, and a couple people could sit on the back. In, in this area, it was like the lowest part of the social food chain. If you couldn't do anything else, you could be a rickshaw rider. And at one point, he gives a ride to this beautiful lady named L-A-N. He delivers delivers her to this hotel, one of the nicest hotels in Hanoi. And he's just smitten with her beauty. He's smitten with this woman. and, And every day, he goes to the same corner and picks her up and takes her to this hotel. Eventually, he realizes that she is working. She's a prostitute. As he gets to know her... Um, she tells him, you know, kind of more and more about herself. And, and she explains that, you know, her dream is to one day be able to stay in a hotel uh, like that on her own and not have to uh, do what she does in order to spend the night there, not have to work. Then one year, uh, he had grown to love her. Uh, they had gotten to know each other so well. He was taking her to this hotel night after night. Then the day came when there was a race in the city of Hanoi with all the rickshaw riders. To make a long story short, he saves up all of his money, he enters the race, he wins the race. It it was like Rocky. I mean, he came from behind, he won the race, he gets all of his money, now he can actually do something with his life, he can move up on the food chain. But rather than do all of that, He decided to take all of that money that he had accumulated and he goes and he buys one night with this lady that he had fallen in love with. Very expensive hotel, very expensive room. The the camera scene kind of zooms in as they walk in and they sit down on the bed and you're kind of thinking, okay, wait, I'm a pastor. I probably need to cut this off, right? but rather than do what you think is about to happen. He looks at her. He sits down beside her, and he says, Do you remember that day when you told me you would like to just spend a night in a hotel like this and and it not be work? She said, Yes. He said, Well, I bought you the hotel. You have it for a week, this room. You have this room for a week, and you just enjoy it. And they stayed up, and they talked. They had some tea. Nothing happened. It didn't get weird, you know. So, um, he leaves, leaves her at the hotel. The next week arrives, and he goes to pick her up at the same corner where he always picked her up at. She didn't show. The next week, she didn't show. And week after week, she doesn't show. Then eventually, he's worried. He goes, and he finds her. He finds out where she lives. He, He talks to the other ladies working, and Finds out where she lives. He goes to her home. He knocks on her door. And here she comes, Lon comes to the door. She opens the door. She looks at him, and she's kind of angry. And he said, what happened? I I gave you that wonderful gift, and I haven't seen you since. And and she looked at him, and she really didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to feel. She She said, I'm so angry. I'm so confused. And he said, why? He said, the lady said, Because after you did that for me, I can't go back and do what I used to do. You ruined me. Why could she not do what she used to do? She had been loved. Someone had been generous. Someone had given their all. And her life, as a result, would never be the same again. That's how it's supposed to work. The thing I love about your pastor is that I know every sermon gets to the gospel. It gets to that point where you're reminded week after week after week, almost to the point that it's like, seriously, we get this now. But week after week, he reminds you that it's all about Jesus. God gave his greatest gift. He loved you so much that he was willing on a cross to absorb the wrath of God on your behalf. And as you see that week after week after week, be reminded every time the sermon turns, every time the sermon moves toward the gospel, be reminded every time the generosity of God made it possible for you to be blessed. And as you view that, your heart is melted. And you're able to look at the world and go, it really is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray.